On September 22nd and 23rd, 2018, I participated in a DoorHacks hackathon where about a dozen teams focused on solving real-world problems using blockchain technology. There was a $10,000 pool prize, and the first-place winning team worked on a project called Delphis, which is a decentralized clinical trial management platform. The most impressive part about the team was that they are in 11th grade. They have co-founded their own company, and during their free time, they are developing the technology behind Delphis. This episode features the three inspiring co-founders of the scintillating team. Remember to follow me on Twitter to stay up to date on all things healthcare blockchain related. And follow me on Instagram where you can find pictures of the hackathon and the winning team. Enjoy the show. Hi, I'm your host, Ray Dogan, and welcome to Health Unchained. On this show, I will be speaking with healthcare entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and executives who are using blockchain technologies to revolutionize healthcare. These innovators are building the distributed infrastructure and diverse communities required for a trusted, secure, and decentralized healthcare ecosystem. Enjoy the show. What is blockchain? What is blockchain? The doctor will see you now. Today, we have a really special episode. We have a group of high school students who have started a company called Skintillating. We have Kevin Liu, Will Hammond, Kunal Sharda, who are here to talk to us about their company and their new product called Delphis. Guys, welcome to the show. Thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. I know we met the first time at the Dora Hacks Hackathon in, in Somerville uh, a few weeks ago. That was really exciting. And you were actually the team that won first place. So first of all, congratulations. Uh, that's a big achievement. And um, I know that you've been on the hackathon tour for a while. Do you want to First, introduce yourselves individually, and I'd kind of like to know how you guys met. So maybe we can start with Kevin. Sure. So I'm Kevin, and so I've been working. I've been working in hackathons and then programming for quite a while now, for several years. And yeah, I'm Kanal. I also have been coding for a while, but I was morely mostly focused on program like traditional programming languages like Java, but we kind of through hackathons, I got introduced to the blockchain. And I'm Will. Um, I was also interested in traditional coding, but then I didn't really know where to start. And then I kind of got brought in by these two guys for a couple of past hackathons. And then that brought uh, me to where I am today. Really interesting. So did you guys meet in class? Like, what, are you in the same grade? Yeah, we're all in the same grade. I think we've met at different times, but... We've all been the same classes together, and then we had the same interest in coding and hackathons, so it kind of grew through there. Hmm. Very cool. And you guys are from Acton, Massachusetts, is that right? Yes. Sure. Very nice. So how? who was the first person that actually thought of starting the company? Uh, so that was me. I actually had this idea when I was talking to my sister, so she was doing research and she saw that there was a huge issue with handling patient participation and handling kind of talking through everything with the patients. It was taking a lot of time and budget to be able to go through that. And we kind of saw that as, that as a problem. And it kind of came almost spontaneously from that point. We went to a hackathon called MA Hacks and I think around February or March. And we thought of this idea and we kind of executed on it because we thought that if we could actually create an idea that would help 
people and my sister was probably one of the people that we thought about when we thought of this idea. We thought that this would be an interesting idea and from there it grew into a company. Thank you for sharing that. And Kunal, you're the CEO uh, for the audience so they know. Will is the Chief Operating Officer and Kevin is the CTO. So um, how did you start getting interested in blockchain overall? Like, was this something that you heard about in 2009 or was this something that's more recent? I mean, obviously you were quite young in 2009, but... Right. So it would have been nice to hear about it in 2009, but I actually was the first one to hear about it in 2017, early 2017, when Ethereum had gotten really big and the price had actually increased dramatically. And I first heard about it in relation to mining and that anyone with the graphics card could actually make a good amount of money making Ethereum. And so I decided to get on the bandwagon and buy a graphics card and tried to convince a few of my friends over here to also start mining <laughs> to varying degrees of success. But eventually I started to look into the more technology behind it, such as how it could be used for distributed networks, transparency and all of that and trustlessness. And I started to realize that it actually had a really big potential as like an application platform where people could make apps that were ran completely trustlessly. Yeah, I think we kind of through that, we realized that there's probably more to cryptocurrencies than just the value of the currency, but rather it's the technology behind it that's truly interesting. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think a lot of people, at least, you know, in the past few years are speculating on the price of all these cryptocurrencies, just trying to make some money pretty quickly. Um, you know, there's pros and cons to that. The pros are that people become more interested and there's lots of talk about it. So it hypes it up a little bit. So the awareness level increases overall. But the cons are, you know, you have this price fluctuation and volatility that also discourages some people from participating. And I liked, uh, Kunal, your story about your sister and how that kind of interested you in scientific study methods or rather how data is collected for scientific studies, particularly in clinical research. How much have you delved into clinical trial studies and how much did you learn about it? How much research did you have to do to get into this? So to get, I mean, coming from a background where we've had interactions with people who've kind of been in clinical trials or have run with clinical trials, it was still very difficult because we feel like this part of the medical field is very closed off. And oftentimes people don't like to release their data. Many studies, especially recently, have been found to be kind of not really like erroneous or not really producing results that were of the caliber that they wanted. And we kind of had to do a lot of research into that. And I think Will can yeah. explain that. Better. I do think it's um, also important to note that like, as we have done a lot of research, but it's also still a learning process. There's always still more to learn about this field because it's still, even though it's like a very well-known field, there's still not a lot in depth about it. And there's always more that's developing constantly. So it's like a constantly adapting market too. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, you mentioned how blockchain can potentially increase the level of transparency. And that's one thing, one huge issue in the research field right now is that everyone does their research in silos and they don't really want to share that information because um, it's their competitive edge to hold that information to themselves. That's how they make money, really. Um, but 
you know, with blockchain, there's the potential for people to still keep their information private, but also share it in in a way that doesn't. It's like a public ledger for scientific information. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, we've been delving a lot more deep into, especially the fact that a lot of clinical trials haven't been able to keep a really clean or a good audit trail of how their data is being used throughout. The duration of a trial, and we found this to actually be a very big issue. When we've talked to people who've run clinical trials or have even done clinical trial management systems in the past, in that a lot of these, um, com- like a lot of these government uh, agencies, are starting to crack down on trials that aren't having good uh, audit trails, where you can see exactly how that data is being used, and to make sure that's not being manipulated. And we saw that that's somewhere that we blockchain can really, really help because it can make it's completely transparent and you can show a full audit trail through there. Absolutely. And some of the other issues in clinical trials and clinical studies is just recruitment and retention of the patients. And how do we find the right patients with the right symptoms that match our study? And can you talk a little bit about how Delphis the product that you have um, actually helps with this or is trying to help with it, right? It, it's still it's still in the startup phases, so this is not a product publicly available, although, you know, the website's up and there are some you know, pieces of information for future use. Um, but how do you, what do you, what is your vision for the, for Delphis? So we believe that when someone wants to join a clinical trial or any other scientific study, they can just go on to Delphis, add themselves to a large database, a decentralized database of participants, add their basic medical information. And then if they're interested in a trial, they can look through the list of currently ongoing trials or researchers can talk to them and request their medical information. And then once that request is made, they can choose to join the trial and send their medical information They'll, they'll be scheduled and go see a clinical trial site, or they can also choose to deny if they'd like. But and, this is mm-hmm. yeah. either way, it's fully a transparent process on either end. Right. And so this would allow researchers to get access to a much larger database of participants from potentially around the world that they could dive into and then use in their trials. And it allows participants to find a lot of clinical trials in one place, as opposed to say, clinical trials having to do manual advertising. Like for example, a lot of times you see on the subway, like there's this new trial for some cancer study or something, but if they're having to resort to ads on the subway to get their information out, that shows that there's not a very good way of centrally giving people who want to join trials a way to see them. Yeah. And we believe that overall, this will allow for clinical trials to be expedited because currently more than 30% of a clinical trial is used on patient regulation. And while we feel like this is an important part of clinical trials, we believe that most of it's not spent on engaging with the patient, but rather handling the paper trail that they leave behind. So we believe that we'd rather use that time and actually engage with the patient, keep them more informed about the clinical trial, rather than having to handle this paper trail or being able to kind of recruit them. Understood. So when you think about clinical research organizations currently as they stand, a lot of them, you know, they make their money by 
patient regulation and the administrative costs of collecting information and organizing it in a way that's useful to researchers. So what you're doing is you're basically cutting, you're attempting to cut them out in a way so that this becomes more automated and decentralized. Is that accurate? I mean, in a sense, I believe that we're not trying to cut them out entirely, but we're trying to make the overall process a lot easier. If you obviously want or need a human interaction in the middle, as a middleman, that can be a possibility. But we're trying to make it so that more time spent engaging with the patient themselves rather than trying to handle all of this paper trail and spending a lot of money on that part. Interesting. So far, what's been your biggest challenge? I feel like our biggest challenge has been achieving like a market validation and like um, kind of, although we have like overcome this challenge, it's been reaching out to people and understanding that although we can be high schools, we can still be committed to a project that means more than our schoolwork. Yeah, and I think what's also interesting is this is not your only project that you guys are working on or that Skintillating as a company is working on. I saw that you also have a, a platform going a little bit off topic here, but I think it's really interesting. Uh, Qcoin, which is basically a simple platform that allows for people to ask a question and then when somebody answers it, they get rewarded with Qcoins. It's very basic Um I don't know how far along you are with that project. Do you want to kind of share some info about it? I mean, I think that was like our first real interaction with the blockchain was through that project. You know, it's kind of, we're looking at Reddit and we were kind of, you know, you know, like in Reddit, they're moderators and a lot of times they kind of act as they please. And we're kind of, people weren't really able to get out their ideas. And a lot of, a lot of things people would say would just get struck down by moderators. And while a lot of it was bad, sometimes we'd think that maybe if we had, you had an opinion different from what the moderator, whoever's in charge wanted, that should still be heard. And that's kind of where KCoin came in. Right now we've shifted focus from that to focus on Delphus because we believe that Delphus can really, really impact the scientific landscape. Whereas KCoin was kind of that project that really brought us into the blockchain. Mm. You also, really curious, you proposed on your website, Addict Coin and Litcoin. And I think the names are interesting and I think that it's probably trying to solve some pretty important problems, I, th I think. Do you want to talk a little bit about them before we move on into the nitty gritty of Delphus? I mean, Litcoin was also, it's all, it was kind of on the same spectrum of Delphus in which we were trying to help with literary and peer analysis. Because, I mean, at first it started like an idea that was like, okay, as high schoolers, we have to do a lot of peer editing. And a lot of times I feel like I'm doing peer editing for someone else and they're not really helping me back with it or they're not really engaging with me. But then we realized that not even in high school, this is an issue in college, this is an issue with the researchers, this is an issue with a lot of news articles. That's kind of where Litcoin came in. It stands for literary coin. And that's where that came in. I mean, the other project is kind of like experimental. We don't really have a... Um, certain like guidelines like i think that we had like two different ideas that we're switching between for addict coin but it's not really relevant at this point in time okay i wonder is it trying to solve some uh you know drug addiction type of problem or that was like one of the things that we we're trying to look at but it's kind of hard to do especially with that being a huge issue and there's being a lot of kind of research that we need to do to get behind that. Sure. So 
and we don't really have like while we had some information about research studies and we have people that we know we could talk to we didn't really have that sort of background to be able to do something that large yeah i would say well while, while thinking through these ideas it's a lot easier to find roadblocks and run into them than to actually get over them so a lot of our projects are still at that stage understood it's just very cool that you're exploring different types of applications that blockchain can help with if we were to dive into delphis and you know its architecture how its technology stack functions can you kind of start from the top or from the bottom actually and you know are you using ethereum what kind of protocol are you implementing in this project all right so yeah currently our program runs on the ethereum test networks although we do have plans in the future say for larger customers or for large research organizations that they could run on a private network that would periodically sync up with the Ethereum main network through like hash commitments and such that. So yeah, currently it runs on the, main, on the test network and it runs as a set of Solidity smart contracts that manage each step of the study lifecycle, say from creating a study to adding data points to adding participants and eventually concluding the study and handling payment. And the smart contracts are essential for our product simply because they provide the data transparency and trustworthiness that comes simply due to using the Ethereum blockchain and having a timestamped auditable log of block. So say when a, when a researcher creates a study, that creation is automatically recorded on chain. And then for every participant and every data point they add, the hash of that data is also recorded on chain. So then that allows later auditors, for example, to come in and say, why did you add these participants or were these participants really suitable for the study or did this was this data falsified later when you were analyzing your data and it allows them to prove that no that did not happen because they can show that that data had been uploaded at a specific point in time and never altered from when it was uploaded then we furthered that through the, actually the dora hacks hackathon we worked on specifically allowing patients to verify that their data is not being changed as it goes through the life cycle of a research study. Because what we saw is that oftentimes data is handed off to several researchers and that goes through different research organizations. And a huge issue with that is trying to get the consent of the patient and making sure that that data isn't altered in any way through that life cycle. So we're able to implement a way at which the patient is notified whenever that data is being changed or is being or being analyzed not changed but being analyzed and then being sent over to a different researcher and that was done completely transparently and immutably through blockchain so the patient actually can see which study has been done with their data yeah and we believe this is very important especially since clinical trial participation is going down in the recent eight times that's mainly because people are losing their trust in clinical trials. There have been several huge scandals that have kind of taken away from the whole process, which is honestly at its core supposed to help the people that it's really targeting. And we think that there needs to be something that really, really brings change and allows people to trust these clinical trials. You have multiple types of tokens. You leveraged ERC721 token named DELF, and then your ERC-20 token, COM, COM. Can you talk a little bit about what each of those tokens do and how important they are for your platform to function? Yeah. So first, I guess we can talk about the ERC-721 token. 
So this is actually used in a little bit more of an unconventional way than most of these tokens are designed for. But so essentially the way it works is it acts as a reputation token that's controlled by a, a, essentially a committee of investors who then detect, who then can verify that an Ethereum address corresponds to a real person with real credentials in the real world. So for example, say a doctor wants to publish a study on Delphus, but then they like participants have no way of knowing whether or not that address and that doctor are actually connected in any way. And so someone with another Ethereum address could just fake the study. And then that would present a huge problem for the trustworthiness of all the studies on our platform. So to fix this, we created another smart contract that allows doctors to upload public proofs, say on their website or on Twitter or any similar media network. And then a decentralized network of verifiers can then check those proofs and then vote on whether or not to issue reputation tokens to the doctor. And that way, it allows for users to get a really simple way of seeing, is this doctor legitimate or not? And what credentials do they have? But also, it maintains the trustworthiness of the proof because it can also link back to the original public proof so that anyone who is really, really discriminating and wants to check whether or not that's true or not can go in and check manually for themselves. And also, the committee of verifiers can at any point revoke the tokens as necessary, say, for example, if their address is compromised or if the proof ever goes down. So then it can revoke that trust and then update participants on whether or not that person is actually still in control of their account or not. So this group of, the, this committee of verifiers, who will they be? What kind of people will they be? Will it be humans or is it going to be a, you know, a group of five people or 500? What are you envisioning there? So we've envisioned it to be our, our COM token holders which will also, which will essentially serve to hold the greatest interest of our platform in mind because there'll be essentially stakeholders in our platform. And so they will go and check for each person whether or not they're legitimate or not. And then their votes will count towards whether or not they are issued the REB token or the DELV token. I see. And when you say check to see if they're real or not, are they just going on social media and verifying that the person is who they say they are going to their house? Like how do they do that? Right. So generally, the doctor or researcher, for example, can upload a proof to the smart contract. So that might include a social media link, or it might include, a say, an IPFS hash of some personal document that identifies who they are, or a signature, for example. And then the, res- then the verifiers can go check that. And so it kind of abstracts the actual way of checking to the researcher, depending on how much trust they want and how much trust the verifiers are willing to put into them at that level of verification. We're also planning on implementing a way of distributing a certain number of our token. For example, let's say you upload uh, documents that are specifically certifying you. It's a, it's a lot that makes you more trustworthy relatively, then you'd be issued more tokens from the committee, depending on how much they trust you. And then if it's less, then you could be given less of that reputation so that a patient can see exactly how reputable a study owner or study manager is. Hmm. Yeah, I think the governance around that is going to be very important. And it sounds like you're still working out the details around that. But, you know, 
I'd like to know who's helping you or advising you on the governance part of your, your platform. So we've been working with a team of advisors who have been both across blockchain and with uh, people who are in the healthcare space. I mean, currently we're trying to keep that part a little bit private until we release like a public um, product at this point. Uh, so we'll, we'd love to share it with you at a later date, but sure. currently we'd prefer to keep that information private. Yeah, absolutely. Also, I can respect that. Go ahead. And we've also modeled our, our governance structure off of similar projects such as MakerDAO and DAI, who use the Maker token to control various risk parameters for the DAI stablecoin. Like for example, the, for example, the collateralization ratio and stuff like that. So they've shown that this model can work because the maker, essentially the maker committee votes on which parameters to set. And so that allows for the stability of the platform over time to be with, like held constant. Yeah, as you can tell, like DAI hasn't really wavered off that $1 mark. It's gone to 99.999 cents or to like 1.01 cents. Yeah, even when Ethereum suffered its huge crash, DAI continued to stay stable. Yeah, stable coins are a hot topic these days. And um, it's interesting how they're being leveraged for all sorts of projects. Mm -hmm. And can you actually, Kevin, you mentioned collateralization ratio. Uh, just for the audience, maybe do you want to talk a little bit about what that means or what it entails or what its use is? Sure. I mean, just in the context of MakerDAO and how they maintain the stability of their coin. So essentially, when you create DAI, you lock in a certain amount of ETH, which has at the time a value that is greater than the amount of DAI that you want to create. And so, for example, if you want to create 100 DAI equivalent to 100 US dollars, at the current price, or at the current ratio, I believe you'd have to lock in 1.5 times as much that is worth an ETH. So you'd have to lock in $150 worth of ETH in order to create that 100 DAI. And that, ins that ensures that if the price of F falls, the system has a chance to liquidate that die that is created before the F that is backing it drops below the value of the actual die itself. And so that maintains the system so that one die is equal to a dollar and will never be less than that. Well said. Thank you, Kevin. Welcome to the Health Unchained News Corner. BlackBerry has announced that it will begin to tackle one of the biggest challenges in the healthcare industry, leveraging healthcare endpoints to improve patient outcomes while ensuring security and data privacy. And how does it expect to do that? Well, the company will use its network operations center to power a decentralized digital ledger provided by OneBio. And OneBio is a Swiss-based blockchain company which aims to build a peer-to-peer -peer marketplace for bio data. Additionally, BlackBerry will leverage its BlackBerry Spark communications platform to connect, protect, and manage smart devices in hospitals and clinics. For more information on this partnership and initiative, check out the show notes. And now back to our conversation with the scintillating team. What was the first programming language you guys learned? Oh, uh, I've been doing like things since I was eight or nine, like when Java 6 came out, Java 5. I'm not really sure, forgetting the specifics, but Java is really my main language that I s kind of learned since my dad was 
my dad's a programmer and he introduced me to it. And that's kind of my first programming language there. And I know that HTML isn't considered a programming language, but like the whole, I started with the holy trinity of JavaScript, HTML, CSS, the classic for front end. Um, but then the first like complete programming language that I actually started on was Solidity. Hmm, that's interesting. Good start. And, and I got my start with C Sharp in a similar way to Canal, and we've been kind of rivaling over that for a little bit. But yeah, I mean, obviously Java is better, but <laughs> you can have your you can have your different opinions. Hmm. Yeah, to because my own. Parents, yeah, my parents are programmers, and they started me off with C Sharp with a few books and the internet, and I basically just got going with that. Yeah, very I mean, cool. Mm-hmm. Object oriented programming was kind of the craze back then, much mm-hmm. like blockchain is becoming now. Definitely blockchain is the craze right now. And it's great to see how, you know, you started young and you're able to apply these languages for doing some good, actually. So it's, it's really nice um, to hear that. Um, so in healthcare, we already touched upon this a little bit. Transparency is important, but also identity verification, authenticating who the user is you know, via either a private key or something like that. How do you envision patients who are not patients, rather study participants who want to be part of a study that could be a patient, maybe not. They want to participate. What is the first thing they do? They go, you know, maybe not now, but when you've developed it, they go on the Delphi <coughs> website, they'll go to the study participant link, for example. Are they going to have to create a private key or are they going to create a wallet for themselves? What's like the user experience going to be like? So currently we use MetaMask as sort of the go-to for creating a wallet that's easy to use, or at least that has interfaces with popular popular web browsers like Firefox and Chrome. I mean, we also did implement an integrated wallet that you could export the private key of, but that's not as safe. Yeah, but... This integrated wallet essentially allows for a seamless onboarding process because, say, if a user doesn't have MetaMask installed and wants to join a study, they don't have to install MetaMask. They can just go to the study participant site on our website and it will automatically generate a private key in the background. And then when they join a study, for example, they'll be prompted to download it just to make sure that that key is safe. But then they don't have to worry, for the most part, about key management or worrying about generating their own Ethereum address or encryption keys and stuff like that. So we tried to streamline the process as much as possible while retaining the security of the process. That's great. I know how difficult it is for people to, you know, be owners of their private keys. Admittedly, it's not a simple task, especially if over time it becomes more difficult to know where your private key is, for example. Um, But yeah, I can envision in the future blockchain the technology of of it will just be the background of a user interface. So no one's going to even know they're interacting with a, a blockchain network. Um, but they'll have the benefits of blockchain. Yeah. I believe that currently, if you know the Opera web browser, they're actually building in Ethereum support, specifically Ethereum support into their backends. Really? I did not so, know that. Interesting. Yeah, they're one of the big four. They're, they're, they're like the less common of the big four, mm-hmm. but they are still one of the big four in web browsers. Yeah, so. I, I hear that. It's Google Chrome, Firefox, Opera, and Safari, would you say? I don't know. I, I, oh, you can't call it. Dolphin? No. Are you saying, have you heard of, you remember the Dolphin browser? 
Oh, yeah, but mm. yeah. Honestly, in context, I always think of Dolphin as being used on your iPhone or like a kind of like a mobile device to That's see true. Flash. I yeah. don't really see it used on like normal laptops right. or PCs. So I would say I would say Safari just because of the sheer number of Mac users, but that's open that's to true. debate. <laughs> Fair enough. What would be the other one you're thinking about? I mean, probably probably Edge. Probably Edge. Yeah. Edge. I mean, yeah. Yeah. actually, I can't believe I forgot about Edge. That's a huge one, yeah. of course. Explorer <laughs> Eleven. Yes, but hey, our website works on all modern browsers, including Internet Explorer, and so. That was that a way, pretty big challenge. That was a challenge. <laughs> that Why way, was it a challenge? Uh, Internet Explorer support because uh, they run very outdated frameworks and they do not have to support for a lot of new web technologies. So, for example, implementing stuff like an integrated wallet that generates private keys and an encryption system, it's more difficult than Internet Explorer and it's a lot, it's slower in some aspects. Yeah. But in a lot of enterprise environments, it's used, so we had to find a way to do it. I mean, hopefully, even though I don't really think Edge is that good, it's a lot better than Internet Explorer, and hopefully that'll be more integrated than Internet Explorer, or hopefully yeah. some they shift to like Chrome or Firefox. Yeah. yeah. End goal. Fair enough. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about the data storage aspect of things? So, you know, these trials are going to have tons of data collected i'm assuming they're not all this data isn't being stored on the blockchain particular you know specifically but you're using the blockchain as a way to permission some of the information that is hashed so how do you how do you structure that right so uh we use the normal method of uploading it so we upload all of the free to data point we upload it to ipfs first and then we upload that IPFS hash to the blockchain. And so that preserves the cryptographic link between the actual data and then the trustworthiness of what's put on the blockchain. But as you said, there needs to be some way of permissioning or encryption, correct? So to do that, before we upload to IPFS, we actually encrypt the sensitive parts of the medical records. For example, your name or your address or any personally identifiable information. And that way it retains the compliance with the regulations while yeah. also allowing different researchers to see that data, get kind of a summary. And if they want the detailed data, then they can ask for, say, a consent or more. See, so yeah, for example, a decryption key for that. Thankfully, on that end, the FDA and like NIH have pretty standard protocols for what's publicly identifiable information and what needs to be struck through. So that is encrypted until for example, the end of the study. Yeah, so the FDA provides guidelines on exactly which information should be, or is considered personally identifiable information. And that's yes. those yeah. value points you are putting, um, you're encrypting safely. Yeah, we use elliptic curve cryptography. Sorry to interject. Mm -hmm. No, so, yeah. that's, that's, that's right. Elliptic curve cryptography, very important um, technology and basically a lot of blockchains leverage that technology and it's very important. We're taking advantage of one of the crypto libraries created by ProtonMail, which is uh, they're a secure and client-side encrypted mail solution. And so their encryption library has been audited and been used by 
journalists around the world yeah. to protect their secret communications. Mm -hmm. So we think it's pretty trustworthy there. And it's also been approved by the government agencies that's in charge of in charge of what the security standards are. So, yeah. right, Proton Mail, I believe that's in based in Switzerland. Or they have most of the servers in Switzerland, yeah. in some bunker hidden away for no one to, so no one can find them. <laughs> uh, so we were talking a little bit about regulation, and obviously privacy is a is a concern, and not only the FDA but HIPAA regulations also imply that a patient's privacy and um, data security is important. How, how has it been difficult to kind of comply with HIPAA? I feel like it's been, um, compared to existing systems, it's been a challenge to figure out where that new boundary lies because with a traditional clinical trial management system, you have a centralized server, so you don't have to determine what things are most important here. Um, but regulation and restriction are completely different because the transparent nature, the best part of the blockchain works against you to also stop you from doing what would be the most efficient process. Can you so, talk a little bit more about that? What do you mean? Like, um, for example, if you want to put something online, you're going to put all of that thing online mm -hmm. because you can't just put one part of it because that's how the nature of the product works. Like, for example, we, we you put like the hash up, for example. But still, you will need to like control what parts of certain things are visible at any given time. And that's a very complicated process. <clears throat> yeah, we've just been trying to strike the balance between the transparency that allows researchers to build off of each other and also the security of the patient's data. And they're kind of not really at odds, but it's we have to find the perfect balance between them so that patients retain control of their data, which they currently don't in the systems today, while researchers can also share that data more freely and use it to build off of each other's studies. Mm. What's been your customer traction look like? I mean, uh, still mm. developing your product, but what kind of traction have you received from maybe potential investors or maybe potential future clients? Or are you able to talk about that? So, I mean, we've been in talks with several different companies that are in the pharmaceutical space. Uh, we're not allowed to name them at this moment until we cash out the exact uh, project. Right now we have a, a pilot with a very large company that's kind of going to be hashed out in the next few weeks. So at this moment, we do have considerable uh, traction, especially since we're high schoolers, we have more than we expected at when we first started. But Thankfully, our parents have been very engaged and our school has been very supportive. So we've been able to make the time to go and get connections, attend several conferences and hackathons which have been very useful to getting connections. So we've, we're on the right track at this moment. So we're kind of, it's this good small victory right there. And in terms of investments, it's a similar thing that we do also have a lot of interest from investors, but we're holding off for now. Understood. We want to get the validation from clients and yeah. customers first before we even think about investment. I think that's the, right, that's approach. the right approach. Are you Are guys you skipping, guys class, skipping class, class to go to hackathons? Is that, what, is that what's happening? I mean, we're not skipping class per se. Uh, it depends on if uh, the school, our school, our school's been pretty open to maybe shortening our periods or letting us do some extra work out of school. 
But for the most part, we've been very consistent with going both attending school and then whatever time we have left, we work on the company because we believe that we can really hash this product out. Yeah, and I think that one of the most important things uh, in, for a company or for any startup is the team. And it sounds like your team, you know, put together, have, you know, formulated this, you know, process that works for you guys. I'm still learning about it from, you know, based on our conversation here and from the hackathon, but it seems like you guys have an, a workflow that just seems to be working right now. Can you maybe talk about what are some of the secrets? What's the secret sauce behind your team dynamics? So I think it's just very important that as an entrepreneur, you have to be self-motivated and you can't rely on other people alone that you have to want to achieve the goals. So when you set a weekly goal, it's not just that like, oh, well, you want to do this so that everyone else thinks that you're working hard. It's because you want to work hard. So with this in mind, we kind of we set weekly, biweekly um, or monthly goals, depending on the scope of the goal. And then we meet those objectives because we want to and we have to in order to move forward. I mean, if there's one thing high school's taught us, it's kind of being able to do a task when it's due. For example, hmm. uh, if an essay is due tomorrow, that doesn't mean we get to spend time like getting that essay. We can't extend that essay. We have to get that essay done by tomorrow. So we're hmm. kind of going with that same philosophy for a company that if something's due, you need to get it done. Has there been any delays? I mean, the only delays that have really come have been with if the information wasn't available at that time or if there have been other circumstances that come up. But as such, especially surprisingly, honestly, that with all the tests that we've been getting, we've been very on task and have been meeting the goals that have been set. I think it's just that everyone in our team and the people who we've been working with are very motivated and really want to see this company succeed. How big is the company right now? How many employees are there? And who is the actual owner of the company? Where is it registered? Can you share that information? I mean, currently in terms of how, like the amount of people involved, it's around eight or so. We have a larger advisory team, which is giving input as needed. Uh, we have a couple of mentors that have been helping us. Uh, we're, I believe, registered in Delaware. Or is that the wrong? Delaware, right? Yeah. Okay. So um, currently the company is owned between the three of us. Yes. Can I ask you guys a more personal question? As, you know, high school students, you see a lot of business leaders in the industry. You probably have favorite computer scientists or uh, programmers. Can you each tell me who your favorite business leader is? Or technology leader? Interesting oh, question. I think I'll start with the obvious answer um, that I like uh, a guy who can get things done, who can envision an idea and then get that idea, who can sell a thousand flamethrowers uh, for a million dollars. <laughs> so obviously I'm talking about Elon Musk, um, but because I like how he can envision a goal and then he has enough capital and potential and just willpower to be able to get that goal done no matter what it is and no matter how ridiculous it sounds because of himself, but also the team that he has behind him that pushes him forward and makes him achieve these new horizons. For me, probably it's less of a person, but more of a company in that it would be probably Mozilla because Mozilla is a really big industry leader in the browser space, but they've also been making an open source browser and they've also contributed to a lot of safer programming 
practices in general, like the Rust programming language, which I think is pretty revolutionary and could take over the role of C and C++ in a lot of embedded applications or high-speed applications that often fall prey to bugs such as memory leaks or use after free vulnerabilities that could be entirely solved. And I think that's really important because our internet security is honestly really bad <laughs> because there's a lot of unaudited, closed source or poorly written software out there. And I think it's important to create high quality open source software and also make it sec as secure as possible. Yeah, I mean, I've always been interested. I have like several, but one that really, I think, struck me when I started this company was kind of Jeff Bezos, because he kind of went from owning a bookstore to, to like Amazon was a bookstore. And then he was able to expand his vision and realize that there was a lot more potential, even though everyone was just like, oh, it's a bookstore. Nothing's really going to happen here. And then today it's probably it's one of the biggest companies out there. And I believe that it was kind of his motivation and his drive that he went from everyone doubting him to everyone wanting a piece of the pie. And Bezos also teaches the lesson of pivoting, that knowing what what you originally wanted may not be the best way to go, and that sometimes you have to change your dream to create a better dream. Yeah, and I also like Jeff Bezos's philosophy about work-life balance. He doesn't consider it as a separate thing, work and life. It's more of a work-life harmony mentality, and I think that's um, you know, a good approach, and I kind of try to follow that same guidelines as well. So you mentioned you have these ERC20 tokens. Have you guys done an, a token sale, or is that something that you're planning to do? I mean, currently, we're trying to gauge the landscape of how ICOs are viewed. We believe that we're trying to follow the principles that many leaders in blockchain have stated, which is to build a good product and build and get good customers who can use our project before even thinking about an ICO, because we don't want to be that company that gets an ICO, gets a lot of money, but then doesn't have anything to do with it. We'd rather have specific goals and specific customers who we can work with and use that money for. So at this moment in time, we we're not planning on an ICO, but that's subject to change if we are able to get the traction that we believe we can get. So just to be clear, your token is live, or at least on testnet, because you've had your token generating event already, but years down the line, in case you would like to raise additional capital, that's what you would, that's why you would have an ICO, just to raise capital, not to, not for a token generating event. I think it would be, I mean, either or. I believe that we'd probably do it more to raise capital, but I believe that like the people who would invest in our uh, company per se, like and buy our token, are the people who really want to see the governance of it. Um, we haven't really thought of the specifics of how Com's going to be distributed right now. We are talking with some of our advisors and making sure that there's a proper way at which we're not giving it to. Because we don't want to just airdrop it at this point in time because that could lead to bad actors. But Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, airdrop is another methodology you can go with. Um, tell me a little bit, just like to kind of wrap up, what's on the roadmap? I know we talked a little bit about the future already, but what's your roadmap right now? So I feel like, of course, a lot of the stuff we aren't going to be able to mention because it's just non-disclosurable. Um, 
But so we're currently going to the second half of 2018. So we've got some private beta testing in general. So reaching out to local research centers, to investors. Um, and that's the main goal, just kind of expanding the product then. But then also we'd like to audit our smart contracts. Solidity is notoriously not too hard to write, but it's extremely hard to write perfectly. So you have to make sure that there's no vulnerabilities in your code when you write it. Especially when we're dealing with the medical field, there's both health audits, there's also audits that you need to get on the code. And if you're working with such sensitive data, we need to make sure that there are no vulnerabilities there. So that's kind of where we're working at for now. Mm -hmm. Awesome. How can people reach you if they're interested? Like, I know you have a Discord channel, so I was on there. It's, uh, you know, that's where most of the conversation happens. Um, and the website, of course, I'll put all that information in the show notes. But, you know, how would you like people to reach you? Or what, what kind of people do you want to contact you? I mean, we'd like to talk to anyone who's really interested because just kind of at the philosophy of the blockchain, we'd like to be as transparent as possible as a team. I mean, currently you could reach us at head at simsolate.me, which will send an email to us, or you can leave comments on our blog, which is blog.simsolating.us. So those are like the two main methods at which you can reach us. We also have a Twitter called Delphistat, which you can tweet at if you want any information specifically regarding Delphis. Mm -hmm. But and of course, our Discord, which yeah. we're going to, we're very active on. Yeah, which you can also find off of our website, Delft.us. Yeah, of course. Is there anything else you guys would like to add, or something I haven't we haven't discussed yet? Not really. I think we touched upon the major and important points that would probably give the best information about. Yeah, awesome. It's like, yeah. it's been good so far, and it just looks better. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well. Hey guys, thank you so much for coming on this show. I'm really, you know, cheering for you guys. I hope that you are successful. You're on the right track and I'm really excited to see what you're developing, what you will be developing and hopefully one day, you know, tell people about this product as a recommendation on how they should participate in a study and the community is here for you. So we're all rooting for you. Best of luck. Yeah, thank you for um, having us. Hey all you cyberpunk health warriors and nimble digital disruptors. Check out healthunchained.org and remember to subscribe to Health Unchained on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and iTunes. Join the Health Unchained community on our Telegram group t.me slash healthunchained. If you enjoyed this episode, tell your friends, your bosses, your teams, your students to listen and subscribe. Thank you.